Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin. And I'm Sean. And we'll be your host for today's episode, Choosing Your Setting with Virgence. Today, we're going to sit down with David to talk about Virgence. Welcome, David. Hi. <laughs> Hi. It's good to see you. You have been running an actual play for us of your game, Virgence. I'm wondering if you would like to talk to us about yourself and, and Virgence as a game. Virgence as a game is a little hard to do a quick, easy pitch for. Mm -hmm. The one-sentence version I have of that is that it's a game of interdimensional conflict and family drama. That doesn't really capture the entirety of it, but it's as good as I've gotten so far. Uh, I can get into the details of exactly what that means in terms of the breadth of the setting, which is vast, and we can you know kind of work, keep working from there if you like. Well, let's talk about you first. David, have you have you done any other games that we would know of? Sure, I have not done uh, a published game at this point. I've been in mm -hmm. the role-playing realm for a very long time. I haven't ever run a game that I haven't done house rules for, little bits of hacking with. Mm -hmm. The most notable thing that you could find for me prior to getting into Hacked in the Dark stuff uh, is that I did an adaptation of uh, a Star Wars setting for Fate. You could find that at 10,000sunsgame.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I noticed you have a few few other things on your Itch.io mm -hmm. account other than versions, one of which is is an unusual suspects playbook that I enjoy called The Mother. But <laughs> to talk a bit more about you. So would you say that this is your most ambitious project, Virgins? Yes, definitely. Before doing Virgins, I, I did a, a, a little bit less ambitious adaptation of a Fortune of the Dark game that was really just kind of a dungeon crawling game with a, a a setting that I, I, I enjoy, that I've played a little bit, uh, but then I jumped into developing Virgins, which is a little bit more uh, ambitious, and uh, I've been working on that since then. My co-host today is Sean. Uh, Sean, you may recognize from a previous podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about their game, Court of Blades, with their, yeah. their co-designer. And uh, you are a member of the cast for this actual play. I sure am. I, I've got that, that particular honor, and it's been a blast so far. Sean, how would you describe Virgins in as brief a way as possible? Is that even possible? You know, it's, the, I mean, we, we chose a really good topic here with uh, choosing your setting because Virgins just oozes setting. I think if I had to boil it down, if I had to, had to really bring it down to a single high concept, I'd say machinations of superpowered characters uh, dealing with situations that are human. I think it's a very human game for having such powerful characters. So interdimensional <laughs> interdimensional travelers with family problems, like that hits the nail right on the head. <laughs> what do you think of that, David? No, I think that's uh, that, that fits it pretty well. Uh, my intention was to uh, have it be, in some ways, to be a power fantasy. These are characters with uh, vast abilities and uh, the ability to travel from one world to another and find whatever they can possibly imagine. You can go wherever you want uh, and find anything. Uh, but at the same time, it's grounded in your character is a noble from a bloodline of a source of powerful reality. And that bloodline is your family. And they have expectations of you and engage in complex political games. They live for a long time, so they are very experienced and capable people that uh, are very able to be a counter to your abilities. And so that makes for a, a you know an interesting set of uh, 
as Sean said, grounded reality versus, you know, crazy, powerful characters. Yeah, so much of the game is, you know, you have all of these these really cool powers and tools available to you, but you're never by yourself going to be able to overcome the challenges that, you know, kind of put you off your guard. So you're a super powered character, but you have to kind of latch on to other people and, and leverage everybody else's abilities and your bonds with all these other super powered characters. And it's a really interesting dynamic tension that comes out of that. That does sound very rich. And that's that is why we we wanted to have this topic for you on the show, because you're some might say that the setting that you have is is maybe kind of complex. I personally dig that. I've heard other hackers claim that you should try and establish a very simple setting or like a, a setting that you can describe in as simple as language as possible. But what do you think about that? Do you do you feel like a complex setting has provides any barriers to people or does it provide something to to have a rich setting like yours that you don't get with a with a simpler idea it's an interesting question uh, i think that you know i've seen some some games lately that are you know just a few pages simple settings simple kind of cue sentences that you're supposed to kind of expand upon yourself mm-hmm. and those are really interesting games and i i find them cool to read and would be interested in, in playing some of them a game like Vergence is really a much more of a buy-in game where you you know you absorb this setting, you create this kind of headcanon in your your own mind about what it looks like and feels like, and you really have to you know jump into it with both feet versus a game that you can just kind of take a look at a few pages and try something out and and get going. I think there's value to both of, both of those approaches. Uh, Virgins goes very far in one direction with that. Now, would you say that, because I've, I, I've had the opportunity to play the game, would you say that uh, the world building is mostly centered around these, these Virgences, these places of power, with a lot of room to kind of fill in out in the Umbra, and that was, that was more the direction you wanted to take here? At least to start, yeah. Uh, the game is not done. You know, it's, it's in development. And uh, what needed to happen initially was to create the places that the players are from. Mm-hmm. And the players are all from these carefully managed bloodlines that have been kind of built around the ability to attune to these places of power called virgences. And so I had to build those virgences because they're each a civilization. You know, they're separated by infinite dimensions and pathways from one place to another and places of lesser power called anchors. And as time goes by, I'm filling in some of those gaps. Uh, I mean, it's a, a, uni- a place where there are infinite universes, so there's no way to fill in all of the gaps. But, you know, I have ideas for other virgences. You've actually seen one of those during the actual play and uh, a bunch of other anchors. Uh, so I'm kind of filling in the gaps there as I go. But also, you know, I- I'm aware, uh, Justin, of... of the consideration that you brought up, which is that an overly large setting that goes on and on and on with stuff. I mean, we've all read setting books that just, you just can't absorb it all. It just, there's just so much that it is beyond any one person's ability to look at. And I don't want to build a game that has so much of that, that you just can't, you know, it's just page after page after page of stuff. Uh, That's not the idea either. I looked at Virgin setting as kind of being inspired maybe by, uh, you know, there's interdimensional travel, <laughs> question mark. There's time travel. I even I also sense a little bit of like inspiration, maybe from post-human science fiction stories mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. What would you say the inspirations for Virgins are? 
One of the cool things about uh, Blades in the Dark is that John Harper gives a you know set of touchstones uh, for his game, and then I think that that inspires uh, other developers to, to kind of uh, list those kinds of things themselves. My biggest touchstone would be the Chronicles of Amber by Roger Zelazny, an absolutely brilliant uh, uh, infinite universe setting that he developed uh, years ago, and a role-playing game. Uh, about that setting by Eric Wujic that came out in the 90s that I, I've played uh, a, a fair bit. Uh, but other kind of touchstones would include, um, there's a webcomic called uh, Kill Six Billion Demons by uh, Tom Parkinson Morgan that mm -hmm. uh, it, I think is brilliant and uh, adds sort of a, a another layer of, uh, I've stolen the vast powers and crazy martial arts stuff from there that aren't really part of the Amber setting. There's a game called Nobilis by uh, Jenna Catherine Morin uh, from a while back that uh, I think has the kind of really big, really powerful character building built into it. There was a game called Everway by uh, Jonathan Tweet that was about uh, traveling from universe to universe. You know, plenty of other things. Mist, the uh, video game would be, you know, kind of an exploring one world after another. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are lots of sources. On, you know, I didn't invent this from from scratch by any means. Yeah, I, I really want to know, how did you manage, like, what was the mechanical uh, impetus that made this, this game of super-powered dimensional travelers, how did you manage to bring it back to that human level? How do you accomplish, how do you accomplish that, that promise, basically, this, uh, this family issues? Is there anything mechanizing that? Well, the inspiration for that part of things is is definitely the Amber series by Zelazny, which is about family drama with these characters who can travel from one world to another. So I wanted to capture that feeling of being super powerful, but also being constrained by other people who really get in your business. You're super powerful, but there's your uncle uh, Isaac, who, you know, bounced you on his knee when you were three years old, right? So you know, that kind of keeps it grounded and uh, under control. And, you know, he might be 150 years older than you and have, you know, vastly more experience than you and so can can really outplay you whenever he needs to. Sure. So within that, you you know, you sort of way high up, but then you're looking up at people well beyond you. And I, I wanted to get that feeling of, of that. And I think that, you know, one of the neat things about, Blades in the Dark is the you know the way each character sheet is set up with contacts, and I took that and, and played with that. I, I you know each character, you know you have two sets of contacts you need to pick from. One is a set of bloodline characters, and you pick one of them as your bloodline parent, and the others are basically your aunts and uncles, and then a, a non-bloodline parent, and there are a bunch of other characters you know from other worlds that you're connected to. And one of the neat things that I found that is if you have a group of characters and, you know, as a GM, if you just do a grid of all of those characters for all of those players, and they are built so that many playbooks, have, you know, share characters among these. If you just draw that grid and you're thinking about a game, that the game almost plays itself because, you know, it, it, at any point, there's a logical NPC to interfere in what's going on right now. So. It, it, it pretty easily kind of makes you uh, uh, build that that family world just by having that grid and and building a little bit of a sense of what each of those NPCs does. And in fact, it, you don't even use most of those NPCs in the game that we've been playing. Maybe a third of the NPCs on the grid have come into play. If it were a longer campaign, most of them would. 
I was hoping you were going to say something like that because as soon as I as soon as I realized we were looking at our mutual NPCs uh, around the actual play, we realized, oh my god, I think I'm your cousin. Am I your cousin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, I, I would be really curious to know what's happening in the actual play as of you know the first couple sessions. Oh, so many things. <laughs> One of the things that I've done in deviating from the core blade system is that you know they have a you know characters and crew books. Uh, and the crew books that, you know, kind of define in Blades in the Dark what kinds of scores you're going to emphasize. That didn't fit in Vergence, uh, but I liked the basic idea. Um, so instead, what I did was create a, a system where you define your group of characters by what pulls you together. And that's a threat. So you choose the threat that your characters are going to build an alliance to, to cope with. When we started this game... Uh, there were only true, two threats that I had created. There was a kind of a big uh, dark conspiracy threat. And then I had just put together a, uh, a lighter version that's designed for shorter games called The Masked Ball, which is about a, uh, a ball that all the characters are going to, and they all have a, a goal that they are trying to address. They all know each other, and they're sort of creating a group that's going to mutually attempt to achieve these goals. And there's a random table that you can roll on to generate your goal if you want to, or you can just pick something out if that makes sense. And most of the characters use that random generation method, but not all of them did. So that's the game that we've been playing. They created a group of people. They kind of did some pre-event play. Then they traveled to the, uh, the, the virgins where this royal masked ball is held. It's over several days, so they've started attending it and dealing with the various problems and family issues that they've been coping with. What about from your perspective, Sean? Definitely, definitely. As, as David said, like it's the, uh, we have this masked ball. Everybody has, has their own particular goals, but the goals are, are so outlandish that even for superpowered characters, that it would be impossible to, to get all these things done by ourselves. Like my character, Valrio, wanted to challenge the Dominus of the Storm Knights to single combat, to a duel. Have her challenge him, actually. And to do that, well, it turns out that one of the other characters, Morgane, the, uh, the Dominus of the Storm Knights, is his mother. Uh, so these things where we kind of have to play off each other, we have a character, actually my wife, uh, Navi, she is playing um, Ananki, and she's stealing a small, relatively small dragon from, uh, from the Masked Ball, from the Menagerie. Uh, and we've got the prince of the Caverns of Agoros trying to ferret out a demonic conspiracy before the end of the ball. So it's it's gonzo, but all of us have our own particular avenues, and we've all kind of entered into this this arrangement where we'll help each other out so long as we get helped out in return. And it, it creates a lot of tension, especially on Rolf's part, because I had to duel his mother, and we think that he might actually be in league with the demons at this point. So... <laughs> It's just a whole big, whole big stew of intrigue, and it's a lot of fun. I can see some resonance there with, with your own game, Court of Blades and Virgins, perhaps, in this, in this regard. This, this was a personal attack on me, I feel. Um, <laughs> this, this, is, this is very much, oh, oh, he likes intrigue. Oh, well, let me show him some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely seemed like the, the sort of game that would work for you. And I, I've drawn a little bit of uh, inspiration from reading through the Court of Blades rules, and I hope you've uh, gotten some things from, from Virgins as well. Absolutely, yeah. My question is, where, where are we, do you think, in terms of development for Virgins? Um, how many of these threats do you imagine that you're going to be, going to be making? It's a good question. I have three at this point. I have a couple of others that are in development. 
as I said, I don't want this to be too gigantic a game. And uh, I, I think in some ways, I haven't read through Mothlight, but from what I've seen about it, there, there's kind of a you know structure of building different campaigns that, that, that work slightly differently depending on how, what the group chooses. So I think in some ways we've converged in having it work that way. I'm also working on creating some guidance on if you have a group and they play through a threat and they want to move on to another one, they could continue on to, you know, the the next campaign type if they want to do that. Yeah, I I feel like that narrative, you know, group session zero version of let's let's decide on what our, you know, we have the setting, but Mm -hmm. we need to decide on what's actually in that setting. What does it look like? That kind of thing seems to work for a lot of uh, hacks that don't have the score structure necessarily of Blades mm-hmm. to rely on. Did you design Vergence with this setting in mind that exists in it currently, or did it look different at any point in development? It was largely the way it is now, in that it, 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 I had ideas for a couple of these power centers that I wanted to expand on. And I have gradually started adding more material, but the basic idea has always been the same from the beginning. It took me a while to figure out where I wanted to go from, you know, the basic Forge in the Dark system, which uh, I think it's actually a hard system to hack Mm -hmm. because it's so specific in the way that John Harper created a system that's built around, uh, you know, scoundrels and scores in the city. And that the further you move from that, the more work it is to make this system work well. Uh, you, know, it, you know, it moved very well to scum and villainy because that's scoundrels doing scores, right? So that, that was a, a logical extension of the system. But for those of us who move further away from it, I think that this, the basic system is so specific to that structure uh, that it takes a lot of work versus, you know, if I were playing Fate and I were doing a session zero and the group came up with any setting whatsoever, I could have a basic system put together during ses- session zero, and we could run Fate immediately. I could never do that with Hacked in the Dark. It would take a lot of work to fit into a particular setting. And that means that the rules very richly reflect the setting if you do it right. But it takes a lot of work to hack this system. Have there been any, any particular hurdles that you've, uh, that you've had to overcome in the course of making this, this awesome game? Well, one thing was figuring out what to throw out. So... yeah. You know, I threw out heat, I threw out load and items, because these are characters who can have anything they want. You know, they can go get, go anywhere they want, imagine that they want Excalibur, or they want, uh, uh, you know, the Death Star, or anything, and they could just go get it. So there's no reason to have anything like coin, or, you know, load items. So the game is built around, you can have whatever it makes sense for you to have on you at the moment, and because the system has flashbacks, you can, you know, come up with a reason why you have this thing on you. And so equipment becomes less, much less important than in uh, Blades, and money becomes no nothing whatsoever. I th- had originally a system that corresponded to heat in terms of how much pressure you were getting from your relatives, but eventually I found myself throwing that out because I just wanted to simplify as much as possible there was originally a system for the equivalent of entanglements that I got rid of. I got rid of vice because my view of these characters is that they're, you know, they live for two or 300 years and they are very, you know, capable people. Uh, So something that would traumatize you or me for years, these people are going to shrug off and move on to. So, you know, I, I set up 
the game so that you could much more easily recover stress because it fits that kind of semi-superheroic character uh, structure. So a lot of it was figuring out what to throw out and whether I needed to replace it with anything or just leave that part open. I'm so glad that you decided to do away with the uh, with the heat mechanic. And as somebody who burns through stress like you would not believe, thank you for making stress so easy to recover. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, that's uh, that's a problem of mine. <laughs> but yeah, it it didn't make sense. You know, it, it's a great mechanic within Blades in the Dark because it it you know it makes people desperate. But I wanted to make people feel less desperate and more capable. I made the you know healing and wound system less punishing so that you know the, the same basic structure remains but you know level 1 injuries are described as you're hurt but you're okay in other words there's no mechanical penalty for that and even at uh, higher levels of harm you just have to uh, spend stress in order to take actions rather than having those actions be at a penalty because I wanted characters who could push through that and make things work for themselves even if they were really hurt so it's kind of a balance between making characters who are not so superpowered that they don't feel like they have any limits, uh, characters who can get hurt, characters who are mortal and and can be impaired and have problems, but feel bigger than life and bigger than human. I really appreciate this direction of the conversation, especially for the wider topic of choosing your setting. It sounds mm-hmm. to me like what you're saying in part is... Unlike maybe with PBTA or Fate, where a lot of creating a new setting just is rewriting, just even just prose or written material to fit, in the case of Fate, whatever setting you're doing, or in the case of PBTA, just rewriting new moves to fit whatever setting that you you need. In, in Forge in the Dark, you can't just rewrite special abilities to fit a particular setting because all of the other mechanics that tie into those focus on crime or scores or that kind of play so in part choosing your setting it sounds to me is is finding mechanics that work for your setting and i don't know if you agree but i think blades is is a very modular system it can be hacked and to fit a variety of systems but like you said it does require a lot of work and maybe that's why only now we're really seeing a wider breadth of settings that that are very distinct like virgences, but that only just now are kind of really diverting from that score type structure and or being about crime in general or like advent, or hijinks on, a, on like a sequential episodic basis. Yeah, certainly for me as a designer, it's been a continuous process of you know going from thinking, OK, this system works fine as, and it does. Uh, for what it, it's intended to do, to realizing that this system is very, very specific. And if I'm going to do a game correctly, I need to make it just as specific and change all the specific things in the ways that need to be changed. I think that's part of why we have this podcast, is to, to let people know how you can change sure. your system to, to fit the setting that you want. There are a lot of levers and, and dials to be twisting and, and knowing which one to twist and how it affects the... Uh how it affects the game in, in context of the setting is, is, a, is an art form. It's not necessarily a science, right? Yeah, they all interconnect. And, uh, you know, to get back to what you were saying a little while ago, Justin, is, you know, you can't just change a couple things and have a, a new game. You have to, you know, a, adjust a lot of things. You know, I think you can start with, 
you know, the special abilities and play sheets and a number of people have, and, and that's what I did with, uh, with the previous game that I worked on Raiders in the Dark, where I just was kind of adapting the same basic structure to, you know, exploring, you know, arcane places. Uh, but as I went into a more, you know, a, a setting that felt different from blades in much more substantial ways, I, I kept finding systems and subsystems that needed to be tweaked and changed to really uh, fit the setting uh, the way it needed to. Speaking of Blades, uh, are you familiar with the Blades setting pretty well? Have you played a Blades campaign before, David? I've actually not played a whole lot of Blades. You know, I've done a couple of one-shot games, but I'm not as familiar with Blades as I would like to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I picked it up and, and, you know, my first thought was, what can I, what can I mess with? rather than yeah. uh, let's play in this setting, even though it's a really interesting and cool setting. I actually had a similar experience. Like whenever I first read it, I was like, oh, this is awesome. What can I, what can I do with it mm -hmm. myself? What about you, Sean? Have you played in the Blades game? Oh, Lord, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. No, I, I picked up that book and, and hit the ground running. I played probably about a year and a half of Blades before I started saying, you know what? I wonder what this baby can do. <laughs> so... Yeah, the uh, the ghost punk Victorian city, like this crumbling, um, just fetid villainous hive uh, with this this upper crust that's just waiting to get all their stuff filched. That that mm -hmm. resonated with me. I, I was always looking for a way to do this in in the traditional games, uh, the uh, the D and Ds and the uh, the Pathfinders and things to do this kind of city based, kind of down in the gutter, hard scrabble game. And so I found Blades, and it was it was a breath of fresh air, but. Now I'm seeing what this what this system can do and realizing that there are so many more stories to be told. And Vergences is showing me that I could probably have an infinite number of worlds that that run on this same system. One of the things I personally like about the, the Duskfall setting, uh, you know, you mentioned you called it a Victorian, you know, haunted Victorian industrial, you know, England, essentially. Yeah. And that is that is very much uh, feels like a, a strong inspiration. But I, I've known so many people who have kind of put their own twist on the setting so that it reflects more of like an industrial America or it has more of a medieval, you know, grungy bent to it. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I think that's intentional. Like, I think I think John partially describes the setting in only so many words specifically to encourage people to kind of make it their own. And that's that's really cool. And we're seeing people do that with their own games or or maybe even I don't know, David, has anyone else run Virgins yet or just has has only you run it? As far as I know, I'm the only one who's uh, run it. Yes. OK. One thing I found whenever a friend of mine ran a Mothlight for a game that they were doing was that the way they envisioned the setting was just completely different from, and I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I actually was able to GM the last session that they, that they did of that campaign for them. And it was a treat, but also a challenge because they had envisioned a very like, you know, in my head, it's a very high minded, like sci-fi epic kind of a thing, though I allow for all kinds of interpretations. Mm -hmm. They had come up with more of a Saturday morning cartoon trash world for 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 lack of a better word uh, <laughs> version of the setting um and it was really fun yeah i imagine I mean, I, in, in the gm advice section in virgins it, it very specifically calls out there's no reason why you need to worry about canon for this game right mm -hmm. you, you can you can invent anything you want uh if you come up with a detail that's inconsistent with the way from the way it's written in the book 
that's fine. That's your detail. Uh, and you know, it's your game. Do whatever you want with it. I love that. I love vague but evocative world building, and I love mm -hmm. enough room to uh, to kind of stretch out and put your fingerprints all over the setting. That's that's my favorite kind of setting. Yeah, and I think that uh, Blades in the Dark is great for that. There's there's lots of detail there. There's lots to work with, but there's also mm -hmm. lots that's just semi implied. Yeah, the implied setting. It's interesting how those two things can coexist. There can be a setting that is very loose and and stretchable. Mm -hmm. but also very specific to the kind of stories that you're you're telling with that game. So I think both things can be true. I think both things are true of Blades, where there's a lot of room for interpretation, but also, as you were saying, you were saying earlier, David, like it, it very much is tailored to criminals in a grungy city, you know, doing crimes. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you feel are kind of the most important elements to think about in terms of the, the rule structure of Blades in the Dark, whenever you're designing your own setting, whenever you're imagining a new setting, like what, what parts of the Blades system do you need to be most conscious of? You know, I, I think there's the core of it is the, you know, the dice mechanics and the, the, the resolution system, which I think is really brilliant and uh, works well for almost any kind of uh, opposed set of situations uh, and so you can you know you can make little tweaks to that but i think that's kind of that for me is kind of the core to the blade system from there as i said there's a bunch that's very specific to uh scoundrels doing scores and the more you have a setting that is different from that the more you're going to have to look at those those systems and how they interact with each other and what you're going to need to change to make that fit your setting so, you know, do you need heat and entanglements or do you need to modify that? I've seen a number of people build games where, you know, they're still using some variation on that. And sometimes it seems to fit really well. And sometimes it, you know, as I, I did when I first started with this, it, it sometimes seems like keep, people keep things from the game because they're in the game, the original game. But, uh, you know, I sit and look at their, their adaptation and I'm wondering, why is this still a part of their game? How does this fit? their setting. And it, it felt to me when I was first starting to develop things that I did this, that same thing. And then over time, I started questioning more and more of what needs to fit, what I need to change, what I need to take out uh, in order to fit the setting best. And I think that's kind of, you know, a natural progression of development for a Forge the Dark game designer. How much do you think that setting influences the types of characters that uh, that the game can fit in? I mean, like, did you just did you start with your setting or did you start with playbooks? I started with setting, but I very quickly started building playbooks. Uh, you know, the first couple of playbooks because I wanted to have a sense of what kinds of people would be in this setting. Um, so I started with one Virgins and built a couple of playbooks of that and wanted to get a sense of how I was going to build those special abilities, what parts of a playbook needed to fit into this game, you know, how do, how do you fit that into the, the family structure? I quickly realized that I couldn't build special abilities that were as specific. The, the ones in, in Fortune of the Dark, each special ability does one thing and is very specific. I wanted, you know, characters who could do a lot, who could kind of pull a lot out of their pocket and apply that in kind of crazy and interesting ways. 
So each character starts with one core ability automatically, which just lets them travel from dimension to dimension. And then they have three special abilities that they can choose by default, whereas in, uh, in Blades in the Dark, you know, you start with just one special ability. And the ones in Vergence could potentially comprise, you know, two or three different special abilities that might be in Blades of the Dark. So I wanted, you know, I, I wanted characters to feel big. And so the descriptions of those abilities are big. I built them in Google Sheets. I have not yet built printable versions of the character sheets. And I'm kind of scared to do that because Blades very nicely fits a character onto one piece of paper. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that without very, very tiny type. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, speaking as, as a character in that game, the moment that I got to got to sit down with the adept sheet and, and look over all the cool things that I was getting to do and Navi with the, with the shaman sheet, both of us were just like, oh, I want all of these. So that that three special abilities starting off, very much appreciated. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, this is not a zero to hero game, right? You're not starting at level one and building yourself up to level 10. You're starting at level, well, you're kind of starting at level 100 and moving from there. So the characters needed to be feel big enough to fit that. And so I wanted to give you a bunch of more, you know, that kind of broad set of choices at the very beginning. And I like the idea of of you thinking, I want all of these. I don't, you know, it, it's hard to pick. <laughs> That's a cool thing to have happen for the game designer. You talked earlier about writing guidance for folks who might want to stretch the setting of Virgins a bit. Have you yourself imagined some some more wild changes to what the setting could be? Could you play a planeswalker for Magic the Gathering in Virgins <laughs> if you really wanted to? Hopping between dimensions? Yeah, I think you could build various kinds of uh, uh, characters like that. It would be certainly possible for a GM to add other power centers and other bloodlines if they were interested and just kind of take the model that we've used here that I've created and add other places, steal stuff from you know, D&D settings or other kinds of any kind of big setting with, you know, crazy powers you could build into this game. Um, and if I were a GM picking this game up, I would be tempted to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, know for a fact that my next, uh, my next Blades in the Dark game is going to, going to feature either Lord Skurlock or an agent of the Immortal Emperor uh, as a bloodline character so that I can <laughs> really mess with my scoundrels. <laughs> I like seeing that. I we talked about that uh, during your interview, Sean, for Court of Blades, of kind of reverse and reverse engineering the setting for these hacks that we're seeing back to Blades a bit, oh, yeah. and like what kind of stories you can play with, you can tell with that. To me, honestly, whenever I heard about Court of Blades, that was the first thing I thought of was, oh, I wonder if I could play lord skurlock and his family <laughs> or or what have you nobody can tell us no at this point like that's <laughs> that's the that's the joy of being a designer right yep right mm -hmm. that's really cool i know um with virgins my first thought was hmm well what if i could place a version of sliders that was a little more intrigue oriented mm -hmm. you know the television show from the late 90s yep Yep. <laughs> about dimension hopping and such. You know, what happens to those characters after they've been doing that for a millennia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in some ways, mm -hmm. that's 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 another kind of way of link, thinking of it is taking that TV show and kind of expanding it to what if you could go all sorts of other places rather than having being stuck with the next place you're, mm -hmm. the, the writers throw you at. Um, mm -hmm. and then what if you did, what if you lived for a very long time and could keep doing that for a long time? 
and then there are a bunch of other NPCs with the same kinds of abilities around you trying to influence your behavior and, and you them. And the push-pull tension between all of the uh, all the various super-powered characters is what's keep, what's keeping me coming. Well, I mean, there are a lot of things keeping me coming <laughs> back, but the tension is what makes me excited about it every week, for sure. So by the time people are, are hearing this, there should be a few episodes of Virgins out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they should they should check them out. You can find them on our YouTube channel. David, I think it was asked earlier, like how how long in development Virgins is. But I'm curious, what do you have next in mind for what the, what's your next problem that you're tackling with Virgins, if any? What are you are you just doing ri- extra writing on the on the project here, mm-hmm. uh, or or what's what's happening with it now? So it's currently essentially in playtest, and so I'm learning a lot from that. I've already made some changes based on this playtest and some other playtesting that I've done. For a while, I was thinking of rejiggering the ability scores so that everybody nobody starts with zero dice in anything. But from seeing this playtest, it seems like you know some people have actually done zero dice rolls when it makes sense for them, and people have you know, sort of managed to, to make it all work. Virgins is set up with nine abilities and you have to start with the same number of dots as Blades in the Dark where you have 12 abilities. So in, a, in essence, you have more dots to play with, you know, to control the world with. And that has seemed to work sufficiently well. I always worry in a hacked in the dark setting about people getting uh, so many dice that they roll that, you know, almost every roll is some kind of success and that it doesn't feel like rolls are risky. That's one of the potential pitfalls that you can run into with this dice mechanic is that generally two, three dice uh, rolls are interesting. Four, five, six dice rolls get to be kind of, well, I'm almost certainly going to get some kind of success. The question is whether it's going to be a partial or a full success or a critical. That gets less interesting. So it feels like kind of there's a narrow range of number of dice to roll that you want to try to keep your players within most of the time. So I thought about playing with that, but Playtest has suggested to me that it's basically working the way it should right now. So I I had a whole plan for that, and I think I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, kind of thinking about uh, other, you know, expanded setting items, you know, more virgins places to be from. Uh, The way the playbooks work is that playbooks are there are two or three playbooks at a time that are from the same bloodline and you can take veteran abilities from other playbooks only from your, the same bloodline. So you can't steal all across from all over the place. And what I find that that means is I have to have more playbooks than in regular blades where you can just kind of pull abilities from all over the place. But if you're, you know, from the serpent, there are only a couple of playbooks you can pull abilities from and I can't just make, uh, a Virgins that has only one playbook from it, I need two or three from each. So right now, I think I have 11. I'm probably going to end up with quite a few more. Whoa. Um, so that's a, that's been a lot of work because it, it's a lot of work to design yeah. uh, big, broad special abilities that seem unique and interesting that fit well together with paired with another playbook that you could be stealing from stuff from. So a lot of the work is involved in building those uh, those those playbook groupings. And then each of the threats, uh, I need sort of the setup for the players. And then I need a bunch of GM advice on how to run this type of campaign. So each of those is a a lot of work as well. So 
that's where much of the, the design work has gone into. It just feels like this is going to be a tome by the end of it. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, and again, I don't want to have it grow so much that it, it's just so overwhelming that nobody could get it but me. <laughs> well, I'm excited to run it. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see, uh, see you do that. That would be awesome. Well, if someone does want to download Vergence, where can they do that? Uh, it is currently available in development form at itch.io. Uh, you can find me and my stuff under small, cool games there, or just search for Virgence. Excellent. And I recommend people do check it out. You can help with the beta test. And I'm sure there's you have methods to contact you there if, if people are interested in helping you out with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, check out our actual play and listen to this podcast, because I'm sure <laughs> Virgence will come up again. At some point, we're going to have to have an episode dedicated to like recapping some of our actual plays. You know, we're only two actual plays in. Maybe that would actually be a good thing to do is just have an episode all about exploring how our, our, play, our actual plays and playtests went and what our lessons from that are. Like the game diary. Yeah, no, I think there's an art to doing good playtests and getting useful information from playtests. Um, so I think that would be a great topic for discussion. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you, David, for joining us today and for all your insights and divergence. If our listeners want to learn more about you or your other games, where can they go? Uh, again, they can go to itch.io. You can find mm -hmm. me on Twitter at smallcoolgames. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to plug our, uh, our actual play on the, on the Hack in the Dark Twitch and on the YouTube, um, because the more eyes on that, the more people can see how awesome this game really is. Excellent. Well, this has been a great episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. Again, I'm Justin. And I'm Sean. And I'm David. Yeah, thank you, David, for joining us very much. Thank you, Sean, for being my co-host today. My pleasure. Sean, other than your appearance on The Virgin's actual play, is there anything else you would like to plug today? Uh, yeah. Um, so you can find Court of Blades, myself and my wife, Navi's Forge in the Dark game of Courtly Intrigue. You can find that at courtofblades.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Drake and Dice, and my wife is at Navi Musing. We're one person in an overcoat. That's all it is. But yeah, thank you. No problem. Okay, now you ask me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Justin, <laughs> was there anything that you wanted to plug today? <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sean, for asking. I want to plug a couple things. Unusual Suspects Jam, our playbook jam for Blades in the Dark and Forges in Dark Games. Other than that, I just received a cool piece of artwork for my game, Mothlight, you can go and check it out uh, the the Scattered Sage in the screenshots on uh, on my own website, moth-lands.itch.io, and just check out Mothlight under my games listing. Yeah, I, it's been a lot of fun, and I've I've been returning to Mothlight development and uh, doing a lot on it. I'm currently working on the Jammers Pact, which is a sports themed like roller derby pact, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That's really cool. <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I got to say, the uh, uh, the jam has been awesome. The, the you know I, I've enjoyed participating in it, and there have been just so many great submissions to it. Yeah, one of my favorite things is just seeing all of the new people contributing. Who you know, we, there's a lot of folks who contributed uh, in our little forum, so to speak, our, our the Discord channel that we all participate in. But there's been also a lot of people who have just kind of run into the jam from Twitter or just from itch.io in general and have been submitting stuff that I've come out of kind of come out of the blue. And I really love seeing that. We're doing it, guys. We're hacking. Yeah, <laughs> we're hacking. 
You're all game designers. That's right. Well, thank you both. And remember, David, that when it comes to design, we begin all of our journeys as hacks in the dark. 